Thank you, Brother Butcher, and what a privilege it is to be here and uh, to be in this church again. I know that we um, were here several years ago. Since that time, your uh, fine pastor and his wife and their children were with us in Ohio. And um, I appreciate what um, how the Lord is blessing not only this church, but the ministry of your pastors, and uh, I, I am here to thank you as a church um, for being willing to share them. They are important to the body of Christ uh, around the world, and uh, I know at home you miss them when they're gone, but thank you for being willing to be kind enough to let them go at times. They've been a great blessing to us and have been wonderful hosts and hostesses um, <coughs> all week long. And uh, Sister Cass would leave early and go home and put the food on so I'd have something to eat and uh, <laughs> all these wonderful things. But we've, we have enjoyed ourselves, and we uh, feel uh, very blessed and privileged to be here. So we're excited about what God's doing in uh, Western Australia specifically Perth and then to know that you all are starting a daughter work that's wonderful and uh, I believe there will be more to follow as time goes on praise the Lord so we're excited to be here worship the Lord as my wife said well I have to echo everything my husband said for me of course it's a little bit more poignant maybe than for him because for the first time I came to Australia without my husband after the first time in 1997 was 2008 and I came with our youngest daughter Caitlin and then I got to meet all the Barrett family and Paulus's and the butchers and I traversed uh, all across this nation for three weeks just collecting pearls uh, I don't wear a lot of jewelry I have a wedding ring and and uh, I say my jewelry is the people that I've met among God's people and, and I, I don't forget them I just string them in my memory and then to come back 10 years later and see so many changes uh, it's been very poignant for me I shared with Rowan I kind of uh, jumped on him and said, you're not going to the prayer room today. You're going to talk to me because <laughs> I have just a little time. We leave Tuesday, and uh, every time I leave, I always wonder if I'll ever get to come back. Will I see you again? Will you still be living for the Lord? Will you? Will there be something that will cross you that will cause you to turn from Jesus? And I remember, uh, one, Cass, can you move this for me? I'm trying to see, and I can't. Is it possible to move it? Can we lay it down? It's stuck. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to have to do this then. I feel like a, a what, is, what is it, a, a lemur? Yes, yes. An emu? Thank you. No. I just need to see you. Uh, I'll tell you this. There is absolutely nothing you have been through or you will go through that will be worth letting go of Jesus' hand for. There are going to be a lot of things. And the choice is always simple. That or him. It's never about who, who did what. It's, it's never about that. I know it looks that way, but it, it's always about 
you keep holding on to him. I remember standing at my kitchen window one one afternoon just as the sun was setting and we had all these beautiful woods, you would call the bush, but trees, tall trees. We lived on the side of a hill at that time and we the floor where the kitchen was was treetop tall, so I was always in the canopy. And the sun began to set, and as it began to move through the trees, the sunlight just dappled through the leaves. And it was orange and yellow and pink. And uh, I started crying. It's like I just had a moment of the glory of the Lord passing by me. I said, Jesus, don't leave without me. Don't, don't let me lose you in the dishwater of life. Don't don't let living here steal there from me. I have come, there's a word that a friend of ours used, intentional. He was an intentional father. I don't know if he knew he was going to pass early, but um, he, he must have been a burden for him because he felt his mortality evidently he seized every moment to be with his girls to to talk to them to be with their children every moment he could he he probably left a lot of things undone maybe his own private ambitions because he was intentional about saying while we're together let me shine on you so I'm going to warn you, when you walk with Jesus, it's a choice, and it will be a choice you will make every day of your life because there will always be something to arrest your immediate attention and try to seduce or pressure you into releasing that golden hand. Just like that sunset that slipped through my fingers and I couldn't hold on to it. It was like, Jesus, you've been with me through all the seasons of my life. Don't let me let go of you this close to home. So I looked in your hymnal, and I don't see it, but I'm going to try to sing it to you. It is old. And, and, and I want you to just hear the words because we're so close to home, so close to seeing the face of the voice that talks to us, invisible but always present. Trials dark on every hand And we cannot understand All the ways that God would lead us To His blessed promised land But He'll guide us with His eye And will follow till we die we will understand it better by and by temptations hidden snares often take us unawares and our hearts are made to bleed for each thoughtless word or deed. And we wonder why the test when we try to do our best. We will
understand it better by and by. Oh, by and by. When the morning comes, when all the saints
something that is uh, not very smart, number one, and um, it's um, um, maybe a little overwhelming on one hand, but I, I, I did this not long ago in our local church and felt it on my heart and um, uh, really wanted to <coughs> try to uh, do it again. I'm not sure it was very successful the first time, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and try it the second time, and that is sort of show you the end of the sermon, and then try to go back and preach the first part of the sermon, <clears throat> because the end of the sermon is awesome. Uh, the first part of the sermon is not that good, and so I want to give you the ending of the sermon so that you will kind of be excited about the ending, knowing as I go through the terrible first part uh, that there's a good ending to all of this. <clears throat> uh, because um, in looking in the Word of the Lord, I uh, and in fact I did a PowerPoint on, on this sermon, and it, it's a very familiar portion of Scripture, and I know that you... Um, I told uh, Brother uh, Butcher that if you want, not that anybody will want, but you're welcome to have the slides. Uh, I won't be able to cover them all. There's a lot more information than uh, what I uh, will be able to preach about today. But um, it, I found it sort of interesting because the, the end of the sermon is found in Luke, the 15th chapter. And um, what happens is that there are several publicans and sinners that come to Jesus and they um, are talking to him. And the Lord goes through Luke, the 15th chapter, which is the parable or the parables, plural, of lostness. <clears throat> some great parables of lostness and wonderful parables that should be preached on um, individually and an entire sermon preached on them. And I'm not going to do that uh, because I want to preach the bad part of the sermon uh, of the last parable. Uh, but the parables of lostness are exciting because 
the first discussion is over a woman and her coins and her bride, probably dowry, that loses one and that coin is lost. And the Bible says she sweeps the house and she sets out a light and she does everything she can to find that lost coin. And, and why that is an exciting story is because in lostness there are sometimes individuals that are dropped through no fault of their own. Situations happen, things occur, and they sort of get lost in the shuffle. Life sort of goes by them, and boom, they end up that they are not found. But there was a woman who, there was the the owner who was sweeping the house and who was looking for that one lost coin, which is a powerful sort of understanding that the Lord doesn't forget who we are and the Lord doesn't leave us. And I know at times maybe people have been dropped by the wayside and maybe gotten lost in the cracks, but God is there with the candle and uh, the lamp and the broom and doing everything he can to find everyone that is lost. And then, of course, uh, rather the first parable was about the hundred sheep, which is another powerful parable in this Luke, the 15th chapter, because it talks about how 90 and 9 came back, 99 sheep, and 100 sheep was not found. And somehow uh, we know that sheep also sort of just get distracted. They're not that bright and they, you know, uh, just kind of do their own thing. And they were probably, uh, that last sheep was probably just eating and uh, uh, just following their own path for a while and got separated and then didn't know where to go. And so what happens is the powerful part of the story is that the shepherd gets up in the middle of the night and he, when he counts the sheep to put them to bed and he said, one is missing. And The Bible talks about how he left the 99 and went searching for the one lost sheep. Both of those parables end with rejoicing and and excitement. And that's the part of the end of the story that is so powerful. Is that how that when you are lost, if you will come to God, there's going to be joy in heaven and rejoicing for your decision to move back into a closer relationship with God. And then, of course, the famous story that Rembrandt printed, painted the picture about the prodigal son is that last parable of lostness. And you've all heard that story about the young son who one day says to the dad, I'm out of here and I'm going to go. I need my inheritance. And the dad gives him that. And then the older son is um, there at the farm, and then uh, the younger son goes off, and we know the story. It's uh, one that all of you probably know by heart. The younger son spends his money on riotous living. In fact, I, uh, as you go forward into this, uh, the Bible says that a man had two sons. Uh, that next slide, go ahead. And, and he says he had two sons. And the second son, of course, somehow uh, he came to himself. That's the the powerful part of the story, that the second son came to himself, came to his own understanding. And he said, you know what? 
the hired servants in my father's house have more than I do. I will arise and go back to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. (coughs) Treat me as a hired servant. And he rose and came to his father. And then the powerful part of the end of the sermon is that while he was yet afar off, just having made a decision that I want I realize that I don't need to be where I am that all of a sudden the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and said and and the son said I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son but then the father said to his servants bring the best robe and put it on him and the ring and the shoes and the fatted calf and let's eat and be merry for my son which was dead is now alive and that's the powerful part of being lost is that sense of there is always the Lord who wants to find us and that's the powerful part of this sermon that's the ending of it and he said son you are then of course we know that there was also an older brother who was just as lost as the younger brother That's what's so strange about the story is that the older brother was also lost and the older brother had felt like he was out of step with the father to the point that he asked the servants and he said to the servants, he said, why is it that going on in the house? What's the party doing? And the servants I guess told him that your younger brother has returned home and yet he could have asked his dad but he didn't ask his dad he asked the servants and and so uh, the the older brother is upset and then the beautiful part of the story is that dad goes out and wraps his arms around the old, young older brother and says, you know what, you've got a relationship with me. All that I have is thine. Come in, let's make merry. And so this ends up with the amazing part of that is that last phrase, out of repentance, restoration, and all of the hurts, there is rejoicing because of the amazing grace of God. And so let's raise our hands and thank the Lord for the amazing grace. Hallelujah. That's the end of the sermon. Now for the beginning. This older brother and this younger son did not just all of a sudden one day have a bad day. This was a little bit of a progressive thing that started happening with them. And if you turn back a couple of chapters in the book of Luke to chapter 12, I believe we have the incidents where they first meet the Lord. And it is Luke, the 12th chapter. Now, I can't prove this biblically. So, you know, if you don't believe that this is... A story about them, that's fine. Uh, just know that it ends great. The ending is awesome. Remember? Amazing grace. Remember? Rejoicing. 
Remember, I once was lost and now I'm found. Remember, they end up in the awesome chapter of Luke 15. And I don't know if this is them or not, but Luke, the 12th chapter, starts off that there was this throng of people that were so close that they were literally pushing and shoving. And the Bible even says that they were stepping on one another to get to Jesus. Now, I know that, you know... uh, there wasn't a huge population but in that part of the world at that time, but there was enough people that they were striving together. And the Lord starts teaching. And in the middle of his teaching, down at about verse 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there, that all of a sudden one member in this group of people stops the master and says to him, Speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Now, why that? First of all, for two men to be talking, for them to say, divide the inheritance, if the father was dead, there would not be a discussion about this. It would be divided. And so, it just is ironic that in the 12th chapter that verse appears and that in the 15th chapter there are two brothers that are dealing with an inheritance. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that it's the same two guys, but there's a lot of biblical evidence that points that it really could be. Because whoever was the head of the home was still alive if these two brothers were having a discussion about dividing the inheritance. And Jesus' response was, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? So in the middle of this talk to the disciples and to this crowd, he wasn't even listening. This younger brother wasn't even listening to what was being said, and he asked for a division of the inheritance. And so I want to look at the word of the Lord from Luke 12, all the way through Luke 13, all the way through Luke 14, to trace the steps of what Jesus was teaching about to show you how this younger brother and actually even the older brother found themselves on a path of self-destruction. Because it is easy to become self-destructive in this hour. And I understand there, there's pressure. I understand there's situations. I understand things happen. And I understand where, you know, all of a sudden, and my wife made mention last night about, you know, I'm going to cut myself. I'm going to harm myself. I need to feel. And I'm going to be reckless. And I'm going to whatever, take chances. And all of those things, is, you know, we talk about, well, that's a pattern of self-destruction or self-destructive behavior. Well, listen, they didn't just one day wake up and him say, I want want my inheritance. There were some steps that led up to that. And so we're going to look at some of those steps. Number one was what he was talking about right then whenever Jesus was teaching to the Pharisees, uh, I mean to this crowd about the Pharisees. Go ahead, next slide. It's a sense of hypocrisy versus openness. 
Go ahead. You can, you see, Luke, the 12th chapter talks about how the Lord said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be made known. Go on. Next slide. And he said, Things that you have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, uh, someone told me one time that housetops there is the Greek word for Facebook, but I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's yeah, thank you for laughing. It was a joke. It's not the same. But um, beware not those that kill the body that have nothing more they can do. Fear them that after kill the body hath power to cast you into hell. I tell you, fear him. And so what is that first step toward becoming like either the older brother or the younger brother is a sense of hypocrisy versus openness. Meaning I come to church and I look good and I dress up and I don't let anybody know what I'm going through and I don't tell anybody how what I'm struggling with and I'm not honest and I'm not I'm not real and, and I start living sort of that lie. I start putting on a, a false face if you will and I, I try you know I, I, am I, I'm not going to be open and I'm I'm not going to be honest. Well, you don't understand. I, I, I don't. I, you know, I, I, I've got to, I've got to, um, uh, you know, I, I got to maintain my image, and I, I have an image to maintain, and I, I, I don't want anybody to know that I may need prayer, and I, I don't want anybody to know that I may need the altar. So when the altar is open, I'm not going to be the first one there, and I, I'm not going to be uh, because uh, you know. Uh, so this sense of hypocrisy versus openness is going to lead to finally a place of self-destruction. I'm going to tell you it's the first step on a long path to where I am no longer, I'm either going to be self-righteous or I'm going to be unrighteous as long as I'm I'm a hypocrite. But oh, when I come into His presence, I need to say, I need the altar. I need your presence. I need your help. I need some help and guidance. I've seen folks that literally close down and I... I don't want anybody to talk to me, and I, I don't want anybody to know what I'm going through, and I, I'll soldier on, you know, keep a stiff upper lip, and I, I'm going to be British. <laughs> and I can talk about them because I'm 64%. I had the DNA test done. And what are you saying? Go ahead, next slide. What, what are you talking about? You know, my, my bitterness, my anger my own problems my own situations have the potential to destroy me and to, to get me off track that's why there's the washing of the water that's why it's so vital that I come and be honest and not you know you say well I, I don't want anybody to know what I'm struggling with I would rather have this group of people right here know everything about me I'd rather be able to email across the globe and say brother butcher pray I need help what are you doing because I've got to be accountable I've got 
got to be open. I've got to be honest. You know, there's just something about it from the very beginning. We're always trying to hide. I, I understand. In fact, David said it like this. He said, for I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. And yet First Timothy, Paul wrote, and he said, some sins, men's sins are open beforehand going into judgment and some follow after, meaning some, they try to hide it. I want to tell you, if you try to hide it, it'll destroy you. It's self-destructive behavior. You might as well be real and be honest and say, here it is. That's what I'm messing up. This is where I need help. This is what is going to have to get me back on the right track. I don't want to be self-destructive. That sense of hiding happened in Genesis. I don't want anybody to know. (laughs) You know, and it's almost hilarious because, you know, it's like playing hide and seek with a (laughs) two-year-old. Where are you hiding? You can't find me. That's how we almost act with God. What do you think, God? You know, every time God asks you a question, doesn't mean he doesn't know the answer. The Lord said to Adam, where are you? It wasn't like, wow, you've really outdone yourself. You know, when the Lord wakes you up at night and says, why are you here? What are you doing in this situation? Why are you doing this? It's not because the Lord doesn't know. He knows He wants you to be open. Be honest. It'd be so much easier if you just say, Lord, I need your help. Oh, that's why the David said, search me, oh God. Know my heart. If there's anything in me, know my thoughts. Lord, I, why? I, I, I need the altar every Sunday morning. I need the altar every Sunday night. I need the Lord to somehow open me up. Wash me, Lord. If there's any wickedness in me, oh, that's for sinners. No, that's for all of us. I don't want to get on the path of self-destruction. And I know i got to hurry. The next one is, is a sense of covetousness versus contentment. You will keep reading in the 12th chapter. And, and the Lord went on down. Go ahead, the next slide. He, you know, after he said divide this, the Lord starts telling all these wonderful things from verse 15 all the way through verse 34. He talks about a man that wanted to build more barns and, and he wanted to have his barns and they were my barns and, and I, you know, they belonged to me and we've all preached from those stories and, and he became covetousness and he said consider the birds and the fowls. Seek you first the kingdom of God for where your treasure is there will your heart be uh, also and 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 you see what the Lord then started was answering this these two brothers whoever they were was that a sense of covetousness and a sense of desiring go ahead next slide and longing for what people ask is that you know it's it's going to eventually lead to idolatry what are you saying that you cannot you know it's fine the Bible talks about covet earnestly the best you know the gifts of God but when you start coveting things anything when you want you know I want to be the pastor I want to be the song leader I want to be the drummer and there's nothing wrong with having a desire to be used of God and if you want to be used of God that's great just be useful want to be used be useful 
But when you start saying, oh, that's what I want to do. This is what I want. This is why one of the sins that Paul mentioned in Colossians was, he's, you know, you look at the where he puts it, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and what else? Covetousness. What are you saying? Well, there's a sense of covetousness that will destroy any sense of contentment that we have. What do you mean? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I know have learned in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. What are you meaning? I, I, you know, you don't have to hurry God. You don't have to force your way. God, if you will be usable, God will use you. God will somehow make a way. I, you know, but when you become covetous over something, that is on a path to self-destruction before, because for long you will start manipulating and trying to figure out how and why and how you can arrange it rather than just saying, you know what, Lord, if you use me that way, great. If you don't, I want to be part of the kingdom. If all I can do is open the door, if all I can do is run a sweeper, if it doesn't matter why, because I want to do what I can, I am content. The Lord has filled me with His spirit. I want to be doing whatever I can for the kingdom whenever I can, however I can, because I know my God will supply all my needs. Obviously, there was a rift in this family and I understand that these two brothers, and, and you know, it's, you know, you, you you feel for the older brother and you feel for the younger brother, I guess. You can feel for both of them. You know, and especially the older brother who feels like, you know, I've I've done everything that's right. I've worked. I've done hard. I've worked hard. I'm working. But somehow, I, I forgot what I had with the Lord. That's why the Lord says, don't you remember? You've had me all this time. Go ahead, next slide, I'm sorry. Third step, not watchful, not alert, not diligent, and you can read it. Keep the 12th chapter from verse 35 to 59. If the good men of the house had come, they would have watched. If they, Because the Son of Man is coming in an hour, you think not. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot figure out what time it is. What are you saying? That one of the things past of self-destruction is not somehow living every day as if this could be the day that the Lord may come. You can get caught up in the work of God. You can get caught up in the plans of God. And I understand. I, I understand. Brother Butcher's got to uh, go and be in board meetings this week. And I know he's already made plans for a plane arrangement and all. I understand. You have to make pl- plans and you have to have, you know, future. But still in all, every day you've got to 
wake up and go, you know what? This could be the day that the Lord may come. I may not make it to another day. I need to be alert. I need to be watchful. Oh, yes. Well, the bridegroom tarried. They, they, they slumbered and slept, the Bible says. And so that's why Jesus admonished them, watch and pray. You cannot, you know, pretend that it's not important, the hour in which we're living in. And I understand when you're on a path of self-destruction, all you can think about is what do I want for now and what do I want to do tomorrow and what do I want for my life and I'm not worried about whether or not the Lord will come. And I want to tell you it'll destroy you unless you realize what I'm doing today could affect eternity. Where I'm living right now could be where I will live the rest of my life. You see... When you get into a pattern of self-destructive behavior, you forget long-term effects. And so he said, pray. And, and so this having diligence, you know, prayer and supplication and intercessions, you know, asking the Lord, go ahead, next slide, and uh, go ahead. Be sober, be vigilant. The devil, you know, that was an admonition. He said, be alert. The devil is out there to get you. You can't act like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm here in Western Australia and nobody knows, nobody cares, nobody sees me. I want to tell you, you've got a target on your head whether you want to believe it or not. Say, well, I'm not living in the jungle or in the outback or in the bush and I, there's, I don't have to worry about snakes. I want to tell you, there's a dragon out there. He'll do what he can to get you. You need to be alert. Say, well, I don't like living like that. Well, that's part of the self-destructive behaviors whenever you just, you know, think that your life is going to continue the way it is forever. No one knows about tomorrow. Oh, if we could have known, if I'd have only known, if I'd have only known, if I'd have realized. That's why every day I've got to live like I'm alert. Fourth step. They started talking about the Galileans. And so the Lord tells them, he said, the Galileans, do you think that everybody is like the Galileans? What he was talking about were the Galileans had some tragedies that befell them. And then there was those that the Tower of Siloam fell on and slew them. And so they had always kind of felt like because those people had trouble, God was out to get them. And this fourth step to self-destruction is when you start comparing yourself to anybody else. You know, I'm bad, but boy, I'm not as bad as... And it can happen in church service, folks. In fact, not here, but back a few years ago there was a guy that was worshiping in a prayer meeting and and he had his hands up and he just kind of glanced over and he said thank God I'm not as bad as that guy you remember and that guy Jesus said went home justified because that guy said God be merciful to me (laughs) 
I need you today. It's not about, you know, well, I'm not as bad. And, I, I you know, I've, I've had people, you know, give me the, every excuse in the world. Well, at least I don't drink this. Or at least I don't do that. Or at least I haven't gone there. Or at least, I, you know, I'm not quite as bad off as you think, preacher. I'm okay right now. Anytime you get caught in that kind of behavior... In either direction, it's going to destroy you. Because there's always somebody worse, and there's always somebody that you're going to feel like you're in competition with that's doing better. And yet, you know what? God is not interested in how you compare to anybody else. He wants personal accountability from me for what God has done for me. And where I am. It's not about, well, Brother Butcher, this one, that one. No. You know what? We can't, you know. What the Lord was trying to tell them about the Galileans and those that the Tower of Siloam fell on is that you don't know what God was doing. And you can't tell me what you know that what God was doing. He said, what you need to understand is you can't compare yourself with anybody else. Why? Because there's just something about it. It will destroy you. You know, what is the the point is that I need the Lord. Uh, You know, the Pharisees were always comparing themselves with somebody else. But, you know, the point is that every time I come to the house of the Lord, I need to say, Lord, I need you. You know, that's why Jesus drove home the point that the reason for this tragedy he wasn't wasn't important but their response was that righteousness somehow cannot be measured by what befalls people oh, but the important thing is where am I living you know what it's not important for me to come in and say well thank God they were here today they needed it I need it every Sunday I need the presence of the Lord I need the altar <clears throat> Paul even went as far as to say If you compare yourself with someone else to commend yourself by measuring yourselves by yourself, in other words, self, 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 you're not very smart. What are you saying? That wisdom is that personal responsibility. Lord, I want you to wash me. I need you to look at me. I want you to touch me. You know, it's so easy, you know, to make an excuse but uh, for why I'm not doing well. I, you know, I, 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 I knew, I didn't quite understand what that preacher, he's from America, I couldn't understand his accent. So it's not about me. It's about somebody else. Oh, that'll destroy you. Don't forget now. Don't get, go, don't get down. Luke 15 is coming. You can turn this around. Luke 15 is coming. If you're on a, on a path of self-destruction, Luke 15 is coming. Oh, you say, but I've been, no, I've been guilty of trying to compare with this and that and who, and, you know. I, you say, I've been guilty of falling into that. I want to tell you, if you have, you just need to be honest and say, Lord, you use me how you want me to be used. You touch me. I, if I never do this, that's fine. If I never do that, that's fine. What I want, though, is I want to be usable in your kingdom. I want to be... I 
I understand. Oh, go ahead. Next next slide. I, I know. Not one more. Go ahead. The fifth one, and I'll stop here, is the sense of being fruitful versus unfruitful. Because what the Lord's talked about next in Luke, the 13th chapter, is about a fig tree. And he came looking for figs. And, you know, the fig trees produce fruit before they produce leaves. And so they had the show of having leaves, but there was no figs. And and the laborer, the men in the vineyard said, let me dig around it and let me try to make it have figs. And that's kind of like a pastor doing everything he can to make somebody fruitful. Go on, next slide. And... And then, you know, the whole discussion then about the soil, because the soil of our soul is what produces fruit. If we're hard, if we have rocks, and you say, well, it's not my fault I have rocks. People throw rocks at me. That's true. You can do something with them. You either can leave them there and it, Reduces the amount of fruit you can produce or you can put them together and build an altar or you can try to throw them back into somebody else's yard I'd rather build an altar and say Lord I don't know why I got thrown with this rock but somehow I know I want to be fruitful I want to have love and joy and peace I don't want it to over be overrun I know there's cares of life I know there's bad things that have happened but I'm going to put it together here somewhere and say Lord I don't know why I got thrown I don't know what it was but I'm going to be open and honest with you. I don't want to get stuck on a path of self-destruction. I don't want to find myself getting further and further, harder and harder. Why? Because then somewhere I quit producing fruit. Oh, you don't understand. The Bible's very clear about this fruit producing. He said every branch that doesn't produce fruit, what was he going to do? Go ahead. (laughs) He takes it away finally. He does what he can. As this man did, I'm going to do what I can to get you to produce fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. When somebody shakes your tree, what falls off? (laughs) Well, they shouldn't have been shaking me. had no business disturbing me. They had no business riling me. You don't understand. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I am. You don't know. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we what? Go ahead, one more. Oh, you passed it. Go back. 
Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That I... I'm going through it and I don't understand why. It's not fair. I shouldn't have to go through this stupid stuff. It's not my fault. He might be trying to get you to produce fruit so that when somebody comes your way who's gone through just what you've gone through, you can say, but oh, let me tell you what the Lord is able to do. Let me show you how God's able with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. What are you saying? That's what's so powerful about the presence, the comforter, the presence of Almighty God. What are you saying? In the midst of all of this, you see, the Lord was telling those two brothers somehow, guys, Bear fruit. Be fruitful. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be calloused. They don't deserve... That young guy doesn't deserve my love. Look what he did to my dad. He doesn't deserve my kindness. He doesn't deserve my... He doesn't deserve it. I know. But you know what? I don't deserve the mercies of God that I felt. When I start thinking I deserve it is when I get off the path into self-destructive behavior. Because for all of us, Luke 15 says it's the amazing grace of God. Oh, for the amazing grace of of God for the amazing grace of God I once was lost but now I'm found I once was blind but now if it were not for the amazing grace of God where would I be this morning where would you be this morning oh you say what's going on there's joy in heaven for one individual that realizes I need the Lord every day it's not about how much better I am than anybody else it's every day I need you Lord every day I need your spirit Lord every day I need a washing Lord I need the amazing I've got to produce fruit let's stand hallelujah if you're here and you've found yourself on a pathway of self-destruction. There's five more. You can just go through and read them. If you found yourself somehow forgetting that I need to be open, you say, well, I'm not as bad. In fact, I understand. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I feel bad asking for prayer when I know that one's so sick that I'm not nearly as bad as they are in their body. They're fighting cancer or they're fighting heart problems. And so, what? Do you think God's not concerned about you? Be careful. That'll destroy you when you start thinking that somebody else's problems or issues 
are worse than mine. I need the Lord every day. I need the Lord every day. I can never forget that. Oh, pastor, what are you saying? You need to pray? You need the altar? Oh, I need the altar every day. I need to pray every day. So today, the altar's open, not just for those that need the Holy Ghost, for anybody that's been on a path of self-destruction. It's time to say, Lord, I need you. I don't know. I'm not looking. It's not about me and you. I don't know any of your past. I came from, you know, the other side of the globe to tell you that guess what? It's time for us to say, I need to be open. I need to be fruitful. I need the amazing grace of God. Hallelujah as she plays. Why don't you come? Hallelujah.